section eighteen of little journeys to the homes of american statesmen this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org recording by betty b little journeys to the homes of american statesmen by albert hubbard section eighteen henry clay part one if there be any description of rights which more than any other should unite all parties in all quarters of the union it is unquestionably the rights of the person no matter what his vocation whether he seeks subsistence amid the dangers of the sea or draws it from the bowels of the earth or from the humblest occupations of mechanical life wherever the sacred rights of an american free man are assailed all hearts ought to unite and every arm be braced to vindicate his cause henry clay henry clay there is a story told of an irishman and an englishman who were immigrants aboard a ship that was coming up new york harbor it chanced to be the fourth day of july and as a consequence there was a needless waste of gunpowder going on and many of the ships were decorated with bunting that in color was red white and blue what can all this fuss be about asked the englishman what's it about answered pat why this is the day we run you out and the moral of the story is as soon as an irishman reaches the narrows he says we americans while an englishman will sometimes continue to say you americans for five years and a day more than this an irish american citizen regards an english american citizen with suspicion and refers to him as a foreigner even unto the third and fourth generation no man ever hated england more cordially than did henry clay the genealogists have put forth heroic efforts to secure for clay a noble english ancestry but with a degree of success that only makes the unthinking laugh and the judicious grieve had these zealous pedigree hunters studied the parish registers of county derry ireland as lovingly as they have burke's peerage they might have traced the clays of america back to the clays honest farmers indifferent honest of londonderry the character of henry clay had in it various traits that were peculiarly irish the irishman knows because he knows and that's all there is about it he is dramatic emotional impulsive humorous without suspecting it and will fight friend or foe on small provocation then he is much given to dealing in that particular article known as palaver the farewell address of henry clay to the senate and his return thereto a few years later comprise one of the most irish-like proceedings to be found in history there is no finer man on earth than your through irish gentleman and henry clay had not only the highest and most excellent traits of the gentleman but a few also of his worst clay made friends as no other american statesman ever did to come within reach of the snare of his speech was to love him wrote one man people loved him because he was affectionate for love only goes out to love and the irish heart is a heart of love henry clay called himself a christian and yet at times he was picturesquely profane we have this on the authority of the diary of john quincy adams which of course we must believe for even that other fighting irishman andrew jackson said adams's diary is probably correct d 
damn it clay was convivial in all the word implies his losses at cards often put him in severe financial straits he stood ready to back his opinion concerning a presidential election a horse race or a dog fight and with it all he held himself personally responsible having fought two duels and engaged in various minor misunderstandings and yet he was a great statesman one of the greatest this country has produced and as a patriot no man was ever more loyal it was america with him first and always his reputation his fortune his life his all belonged to america the city of lexington contains about twenty five thousand inhabitants in lexington two distinct forms of civilization meet one is the civilization of the f f v converted into that peculiar form of noblesse known the round world over as the bluegrass aristocracy bluegrass society represents leisure and luxury and the generous hospitality of friendships generations old it means broad acres noble mansions reached by roadways that stray under wide-spreading oaks and elms where squirrels chatter and mild-eyed cows look at you curiously it means apple orchards gardens lined with boxwood capacious stables and long lines of whitewashed cottages around which swarm a dark cloud of dependents who dance and sing and laugh and work when they have to over against these there are to be seen trolley cars electric lights smart rows of new brick houses on lots thirty by one hundred negro policemen in uniforms patterned after those worn by the broadway squad streets torn up by sewers and conduits steam rollers with an unsavory smell of tar and asphalt push buttons and a hello exchange as to which form of civilization is the more desirable is a question that is usually answered by taste and temperament one thing sure and that is that a pride which swings t'other side and becomes vanity is often an element in both each could learn something of the other lots that you can jump across rented to families of ten with land a mile away that can be bought for fifty dollars an acre are not an ideal condition on the other hand inside the city limits of lexington are mansions surrounded by an even hundred acres but at some of these gates are off their hinges pickets have been borrowed for kindling creeping vines and long grass or top the walls of empty stables and a forest of weeds insolently invades the spot where once nestled milady's flower garden slowly but surely the bluegrass aristocracy is giving way to purslane or asphalt moving into flats and allowing the boomer to plat its fair acres running excursion trains to attend auction sales where all the lots are corner lots and are to be bought on the installment plan which plan is said by a cynic to give the bicycle face just across from ashland is a beautiful estate recently sold at a sacrifice to a man from massachusetts by the name of douglas who i am told is bald through lack of hair and makes three dollar shoes the stately old mansion mourns its former masters all are gone and a thrifty german is ploughing up the lawn that the cows of the douglas tender and true may eat early clover but ashland is there to-day in all the beauty and loveliness that henry clay knew when he wrote to benton i love old ashland 
and all these acres with their trees and flowers and growing grain lure me in a way that ambition never can no i remain at ashland the rambling old house is embowered in climbing vines and clambering rose bushes and is set thick about with cedars so that you can scarcely see the chimney tops above the mass of green a lane running through locust trees planted by henry clay's own hands leads you to the hospitable wide open door where a colored man whose black face is set in a frame of wool smiles a welcome he relieves you of your baggage and leads the way to your room the summer breeze blows lazily in through the open window and the only sound of life and activity about seems to center in two noisy robins which are making a nest in the eaves right within reach of your hand the colored man apologizes for them anathematizes them mildly and proposes to drive them away but you restrain him after the man is gone you bethink you had the suggestion of driving the birds away was the only white lie of society for even black folks tell white lies and the old man probably had no more intent of driving the birds away than of going himself on the dresser is a pitcher of freshly clipped roses the morning dew still upon them and you only cease to admire as you espy your mail that lies there awaiting your hand news from home and loved ones greet you before these new-found friends do you have not seen the good folks who live here only the old colored man who pretended that he was going to kill cock robin and didn't the hospitality is not gushing or effusive the place is yours that's all and you lean out of the window and look down at the flower beds and wonder at the silence and the quiet and peace and feel sorry for the folks who live in cincinnati and chicago the soughing of the wind through the pines comes to you like the murmur of the sea and breaking in on the stillness you hear the sharp sound of an axe some gladstone chopping miles and miles away your dreams are broken by a gentle tap at the door and your host has come to call on you you know him at once even though you have never before met for men who think alike and feel alike do not have to get acquainted heart speaks to heart he only wishes to say that your coming is a pleasure to all the family at ashland the library is yours as well as the whole place lunch is at one o'clock and george will get you anything you wish and back in the shadow of the hallway you catch sight of the old colored man and see him bow low when his name is mentioned ashland is probably in better condition to-day than when henry clay worked and planned and superintended its fair acres the place has seen vicissitudes since the body of the man who gave it immortality lay in state here in july eighteen hundred fifty two but major mcdowell's wife is the granddaughter of henry clay and it seems meet that the descendants of the great man should possess ashland major mcdowell has means and taste and the fine pride that would preserve all the traditions of the former master the six hundred acres are in a high state of cultivation and the cattle and horses are of the kinds that would have gladdened the heart of clay in the library halls and dining-room are various portraits of the great man and at the turn of the stairs is a fine heroic bust in bronze of that lean face and form hundreds of his books are to be seen on the shelves all marked and dog-eared and scribbled on 
thus disproving much of that old cry that clay was not a student some men are students only in youth but clay's best reading was done when he was past fifty the book habit grew upon him with the years here are his pistols spurs saddle and memorandum books here are letters faded and yellow dusted with black powder on ink that has been dry a hundred years asking for office or words of gracious thanks in token of benefits not forgot off to the south stretches away a great forest of walnut oak and chestnut trees reminders of the vast forest that daniel boone knew many of these trees were here then and here let them remain said henry clay and so to-day at ashland as at haywarden no tree is felled until it has been duly tried by the entire family and all has been said for and against the sentence of death i heard miss mcdowell make an eloquent plea for an old oak that had been rather recklessly harboring mistletoe and many squirrels until it was thought probable that like our first parents it might have a fall it was a plea more eloquent than o woodman spare that tree a reprieve for a year was granted and i thought as i cast my vote on the side of mercy that the jury that could not be won by such a young woman as that was hopelessly dead at the top and more hollow at the heart than the old oak under whose boughs we set ashland is just a mile south of the courthouse when henry clay used to ride horseback between the town and his farm there were scarce a dozen houses to pass on the way but now the street is all built up and is smartly paved and the trolley line booms a noisy car to the sacred gates every ten minutes lexington was laid out in the year seventeen hundred seventy four and the intention was to name it in honor of colonel patterson the founder or of daniel boone but while the surveyors were doing their work word came of the battle of some british and certain embattled farmers and the spirit of freedom promptly declared that the town should be called lexington End of section 18